Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast, a podcast channel here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkran, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Elise Kokorosoma, who is the co-editor of a brand new um, Rutledge Hindu Studies series uh, contribution called The Making of Contemporary Indian Philosophy, Krishnachandra Bhattacharya. Elise, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for the conversation. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, tell us a little bit about, uh, my first question was going to be, so who was Krishna Chandra Bhattacharya? And perhaps we'll get to that. But, but first, tell us about the backstory. How did this volume come together? Uh, so the volume is a, is a COVID story, basically. And um, while we were all in lockdown, um, so all means really scholars, you know, from India, from America, from Europe, from Israel, all all over the world. And we were all in lockdown and we were missing a conversation. And at the same time, we thought we discovered the possibilities also of Zoom at that time and to meet all together and discuss Krishna Chandra Bhattacharya on the internet. And so it was an online conference that was hosted by Tel Aviv University and organized by Daniel Ravi, who is the co-editor of the book. And after the online conference, we wanted to basically continue the discussion. We felt, or at least for me, I felt that the debate had brought new insight into what I wanted to say. And we also felt that Krishna Chandra Bhattacharya deserved to be you know, spread all over the world. So we wanted to to bring it to the public, to give the possibility to to bring it to a larger audience and to bring more attention on contemporary Indian philosophy in general. And also to invite people to read more of Krishna Chandra Bhattacharya. Of course, that's all this book is about. Uh, so we invited also a few more friends to like participating in the discussion. So people joined us, like Arindam Chakrabarti, Stephen Kaplan, Muslim Judge. And we also decided, and this is something I, I like a lot in the volume, to bring papers of um, Indian, contemporary Indian philosophers themselves, like Daya Krishna, Kalyan Kumar Bhakti, and Dipicha Tupadhyaya. Two of them, Daya Krishna and Dipicha Tupadhyaya, are no more, unfortunately. So to reproduce their articles, um, giants of contemporary Indian philosophy and of Krishna Chandrabhattacharya. So it's an online, written, and republished kind of a mixed volume that began all in COVID and came after COVID. I have to comment on that process. I love that. I love that um, the, 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 pandemic situation was rendered uh, useful and productive uh, and particularly insofar as um, <laughs> venturing out into the online medium and and discovering the the, the potential power 
thereof and the possibilities thereof, um, I found myself strangely uh, teaching uh, and 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 consulting on Zoom from my home office since 2017. <laughs> So, okay. so when the when 2020 came along, I'm like, oh, I'm not. <laughs> it's not as lonely as it was. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was, be- I was not used to it. But I discovered the, the closeness. Suddenly, we were all close to each other. Exactly. I I really went into on it. I don't know. So it must be some intuition or some self-punishment or destiny as well I have no idea but I was really intrigued by online education but I had never taken an online course and really I was I was truthfully I was skeptical I was seriously skeptical about the extent to which one could connect online and now my goodness I've gone from a skeptic to, <laughs> to, to, to now I'm proselytizing <laughs> <laughs> at all of the uh, premium um, Hindu studies uh, <laughs> online venues. But um, no, it really is staggering. It's staggering the the level of uh, connection, conversation, transformation that can be facilitated online. So I'm glad that you discovered that. And clearly um, it's worked to your advantage. Um, <clears throat> who is this Krishna Chandra Bhattacharya? Who is this figure? <laughs> Good question. So Krishna Chandra Bhattacharya is born in 1875 and he died in 1949. So end of the 20th century, uh, end of the 19th century, beginning first half of the 20th century. From a family, part of a traditional family of Sanskrit scholars in West Bengal, so in India, of course. And he taught here all his life in colleges and universities. And this is important because it means um, this is Indian academic philosophy. And we wanted to, with this volume and, and in general, you know, research, both Daniel and I, we wanted to give voice. And of course, the contributors of the volumes are all part of this endeavor to give voice to academic Anglo from Indian philosophy. So that means beyond the well-known figures and the public intellectuals and the world reformers that are Gandhi, Vivekananda, Tagore, Aurobindo. So we wanted to bring light to those working in the universities. And the second thing that is important is um, that he's part of the 20th century, the first half which means um, was working in India during the British time, during colonization. And this is important to understand um, both his concept of Swaraj and ideas of self-rule and his idea of cultural subjection, um, but also the way he writes philosophy, um, bringing Advaita Vedanta in particular to respond to Kant uh, in a particular way which can be confronted, which can sometimes um, want to um, bring to light the superiority or the positivity or the advantage of classical Indian philosophy. So this is to be understood in the context of organization. You know, you've touched on probably uh, much related to this next question, but maybe we get underscore it. Um, a, a tad more. So why is he an important figure? Yeah, and the second part of my response should be as on his writing, of course. Um, he's an important figure. We call it making of 
of contemporary Indian philosophy. He's one of the founder for us intellectually, philosophically, of contemporary Indian philosophy. Um, for several aspects, one of which, which is very important, is his language, that is writing Indian philosophy in English, in modern idiom, and writing about also. So, so parts of his writings are writings on Advaita Vedanta, Samkhya, Yoga, Jaina philosophy, that is on classical Indian philosophy, but as constructive commentaries. So he's um, very much against uh, an ideology of his time, that is interpretation only of classical Indian philosophy. So his way of philosophizing classical Indian philosophy is, as you say, constructive commentary as a sympathetic interpreter. And this means that um, his language is also uh, very interesting, actually, because his language, Krishna Shambhavadacharya's language, is often an English behind which, or mixed with it, are uh, hidden Sanskrit concepts in particular. And so it's a philosophical language that is very rich, uh, but also sometimes unorthodox for modern Anglophone readers. And this is, uh, I think, a characteristic of contemporary Indian philosophy, that is um, the freedom to explore classical text and the freedom to express ideas in English with classical concepts. In the, in the mind. At the same time, of course, contemporary Indian philosophy is always um, a dialogue with also contemporary modern Western material. So Krishna Chandra Bhattacharya engages Kant in particular, but also Hegel. So he is um, he is contemporary Indian philosopher in this hybridity, if you want, uh, in the mixity, but in the freedom also to navigate between traditions that is definitely typical uh, of contemporary Indian philosophy. And with that, he writes also his own philosophy. He's neither only classical Indian philosopher nor a copy of a Western philosopher, but he's, of course, um, of his own, a creative thinker. And this you see in particular in, in his text, uh, studies, in his studies like the subject of freedom, or the concept of the absolute and its alternative forms, that are texts where uh, it does not refer directly necessarily to one or the other, but of course his thought is informed by classical Indian philosophy, Western Indian philosophy, and also responses to Western readings of Indian philosophy. So a very complex uh, situations of multiple voices that are typical of this period. So the, um, that last idea about this being typical of his period, could you say a bit about the extent to which he was unique in this dovetailing or this integration or this bridging or whether this was, um, uh, there were a number of such uh, uh, Indian academics engaged in this enterprise. And, you know, is this novel? Is was what he's doing novel in his milieu? It is novel because he's um, quite early. I mean, there have been 
Um, he has influenced whole generations of philosophers after him. That is also why I think he's one of the founders of contemporary Indian philosophy, like his son, Kalaitas Bhattacharya, and Vibhanaji, Dayakrishna. So he's opening up a generation of philosophers after him. And his novel, I think, in his um, to the extent to which he builds a system that is neither classical Indian philosophy pure nor contemporary Western philosophy pure. So the the language that he uses is very much still Sanskritized. Uh, the concepts that are behind his English are very much Sanskritized, yet it is a modern formulation that is not necessarily orthodox, that brings novelty into this text. And further than that, of course, he develops his own ideas. So in that, he is um, he's the founder of um, something that will characterize contemporary Indian philosophy. And one more thing, um, there is another text which is quite different from this studies in philosophy that I mentioned already called Swarajan Ideas, which was a lecture he delivered at the college uh, where he's basically he's using the term Swaraj in reference to Gandhi, but he's denouncing cultural subjection, as he says. So it is a um, strong lecture with strong words. He speaks of slavery of the spirit to explain what does colonization to our minds. Uh, so it's a very political text that was said in the context of colonization. And it's a question of identity, of authenticity, of how to do Indian philosophy in English. He says at one point that if he were asked to do this lecture in Bengali uh, on that day, he's not sure he would be able to do it. So it is really the question of what colonization does to, to the mind and to the language. And of course, to an extent, this text is dated. There's been there are critics in the volumes also, engagement, critical engagement. But it is a very important, I think, uh, early instance of what we could call um, decolonial aspect of the very early instance of uh, reflecting about what colonization does to our mind, to the inner spirit. What sorts of subfields, disciplines might this book implicate? Uh, who, who might most be interested in his work? Um, so what I like about the book and the beauty of the book is I think that um, it's extremely diverse. I mean, everybody is, of course, engaged in Krishna Shandra, but a child. But um, the engagement uh, really addresses all I want to say, but let's say most of the aspects of Krishna Chandra Bhattacharya's philosophy. So you have, you could have, or you will have, I hope, um, people interested in specific um, classical Indian texts on Samkhya, on Yoga, who want to have a, a look or learn about some contemporary views or interpretation on that. Uh, so we have articles by Dmitry Shevchenko and Daniel Rave, who are like in-depth uh, analysis of Krishna Chandra Bhattacharya's view on these schools. Um, 
you would have, I hope, philosophers who are interested in, you know, going beyond their usual uh, Western mainstream philosophy, and maybe phenomenologists in particular, or um, people who are interested in, in the interpretation of Kant and post-Kant in the global context, who would be interested in, you know, considering that Indian philosophy is not only classical, but that uh, it didn't stop and it's very much alive. And this is an example of contemporary Indian philosophy in the 20th century, which ought to be integrated to the, well, the global corpus, the global idea of philosophy. And maybe in India in particular, where, where I work, I, am, I think Krishna Chandra Bhattacharya is known but then it's, he's also a very difficult philosopher and there is not so much or not enough, at least secondary literature and types. So I hope that this, um, this volume could be a guide or a help or an invitation to read with Krishna Chandra Bhattacharya further in classes and to discover besides Gandhi, Tagore and the figures that are very well known here. Um, academic Indian philosophy. So I think, I mean, anybody who thinks that it's a little strange to consider that Indian philosophy is only classical and does not exist in the 20th century should be interested in the volume. But I think the subfields will be mostly people working in um, global studies, global philosophy, Indology, Indian studies who have an interest in philosophy or want to go beyond their, their usual classical conception of Indian philosophy. What do you find? And I imagine there, there might be a number of, of, of things, but what do you find uh, most remarkable about this figure, whether his life, his times, his, his, his journey, his, his, um, his thoughts? Like what, what do you find most captivating and remarkable about him? His language for me, but this is a very personal um, answer. I mean, the it's, it's all right. It's it's you. It's you whom I'm, whom I'm asking. So we're good. <laughs> yeah. So the volume might suggest very different responses, but um, for me, I always uh, I'm always struck by Krishna Chandra Bhattacharya's language because it's extremely difficult and and terse. So you when you stop on each sentence to try to understand and and then I always feel there is more to it than what I understand at the moment. So I try to look if there is not a hidden Sanskrit concept, or at least hidden for me, of course, which would be um, um, read, read by, by his contemporaries. But if there is a hidden concept or hidden reference to Kant, uh, why he's using system, what it means, and often I discover that it's a mix and it's a very rich vocabulary that is informed indeed by different languages, but also different texts, different use of the words, and that he's kind of fusing in one concept, and this concept becomes very powerful. So for me, I think the the density of the language and the richness of his language is something I... I don't think I have seen anywhere else. Do you, would you consider his enterprise a syncretic one? Um, 
I mean, yes, he's, it depends on, on the studies. It's a difficult question. It depends on the studies in philosophy. In, in the subject of freedom, he's still exploring philosophy from the standpoint of uh, Advaita Vedanta, his own standpoint, but he's expanding um, he's expanding further in a different vocabulary, in a different language, and with a different horizon. So in that sense, yes, but not not necessarily everywhere. Who would you say he's writing for? Who is this philosophy for? In his mind, Good at least. <laughs> in his mind, oh. Oh, um, well, you don't have to be a clairvoyant, but you know, who do you, do you have a sense of whose audience may have been? Uh, his audience, I think, was rather restricted. I don't think he was aiming like Radha Krishnan at a global international scene. I think he was content writing and thinking about the absolute. And if you read the the, the introduction, his son Gopinath Bhattacharya says that um, his lectures were different from the way he's writing. So he seems to be writing in this very dense style, but be uh, more, how to say, use more words, maybe less dense in in the college. So although he was and teaching and he had um, students. I'm not sure his writings were indeed aimed at a very large audience and some of them were not so some of them were not even published uh, during his lifetime, but they were included in the studies in philosophy by his son. So yeah, I don't think he was the he wanted to be on the forefront of the philosophical global scene, for example. <laughs> Clearly, uh, else um, he took the wrong approach. <laughs> <laughs> Writing erudite, opaque, um, technical <laughs> works. <laughs> he needed a marketing coach, if so. Um, this was not the time. Thank God for him. <laughs> <laughs> there are a number of uh, contributions, rich and very varied contributions. Uh, Twelve of them, I believe, in the work. Um, for those listening. Uh, which, which range from his work in its relation to Shankara, to Rasa theory, to notions of embodiment and liberation. Um, and so, you know, the link, of course, is always is in the podcast notes. You can feel free to click on it and, and have a look and see if some of the chapters are, uh, are relevant to your interests and or research. Um, was there anything else about the volume or about this figure that you hope we touch on today? Maybe just to add um, that some of the contributions, of course, engage critically and further. Um, that's the case of Musbanjal, for example, who um, engages Krishna Chandra Bhattacharya vis-à-vis the problem of past. And some of them, of course, put Krishna Chandra Bhattacharya in dialogue with either the predecessors like Abhinavagupta uh, with their successors like Daya Krishna. So there are different zooms, if you want, or lenses uh, in the volume. Some of them um, are really in-depth 
analysis and you could say one more commentaries of Krishna Chandrabhattacharya's work, one work or, or, or several works. Some engage more largely with his philosophy, critically, and some connecting further in dialogue. So we have a diversity of topics, and that's what we wanted to have. We didn't want to present Krishna Chandra Bhattacharya as he's often presented, that is only as a Advaita Vedanta versus Kant reader and interpreter. Uh, so we have analysis on Gishan, on Samkhya, or Yoga, as I was saying, and Rasa. But we also wanted different voices and different approaches. And that's why we have um, very different ways of engaging critically or more closely or more generally with these philosophies and philosophical texts. Maybe that's what I wanted to add. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for appearing on the podcast today. Thank you so much. For those listening, we, of course, have been speaking with Dr. Elise Kokrosala. She's a co-editor of a, a brand new uh, book from the Rutledge Hindu Studies series called The Making of Contemporary Indian Philosophy. Of course, it's about this figure, uh, Krishna Chandra uh, Bhattacharya. Until next time, uh, keep well, keep listening, keep reading, and keep contemplating potentially influential figures of history, however well or little known. Take care.